Our scripture reading today comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1 through 25. I would like to invite our readers to come forward. Pursue love and strive for the spiritual gifts, and especially that you may prophesy. For those who speak in a tongue do not speak to other people, but to God, for nobody understands them since they are speaking mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, those who prophesy speak to other people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Those who speak in a tongue build up themselves, but those who prophesy build up the church. Now I would like all of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. One who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I speak to you in some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? It is the same with lifeless instruments that produce sound, such as the flute or harp. If they do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is being played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if in a tongue you utter speech that is unintelligible, how will anyone know what you said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different kinds of sounds in the world, and nothing is without sound. If then I do not know the meaning of the sound, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for spiritual gifts, strive to excel in them for building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays with my mind is unproductive, what should I do then? I will pray with the spirit, but I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the spirit, but I will sing praise with the mind also. Otherwise, if you say a blessing with the spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving, since the outsider does not know what you are saying? For you may give thanks well enough, but the other person is not built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers and sisters, do not be children in your thinking. Rather, be infants in evil, but in thinking, be adults. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, yet even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues then are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophesy is not for believers, but for believers, not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and an outside or unbeliever enters, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if all prophesy, an unbeliever or outsider who enters is reproved by all and, count, 
and called to account by all. After the secrets of the unbeliever's heart are disclosed, that person will bow down before God and worship him, declaring, God is really among you. Friends, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Draw us close, Holy Spirit, through the reading of these scriptures and the proclamation of the word. Let the words of faith be on our lips and in our hearts, and let all other words slip away. May there be one voice we hear today, your eternal voice of truth and grace. Amen. Friends, I don't know the nature of your conversations with the divine. Perhaps you've never prayed before except in anguish or terror. It may be that the only time the divine name has been on your lips has been in angry expletives or resigned sighs. Maybe you avoid prayer because it's too exposed, too vulnerable, like swimsuit shopping in February. Nobody needs to see the loose, saggy bits of your life. Perhaps you'll try it on again later, when you've had time to tone and tan those trouble areas. Perhaps you and God aren't on speaking terms. Maybe you tried to pray and were profoundly disappointed. There may be a divine being out there, but they haven't seemed to hear or respond or taken any interest in your cries, so you saved your breath. Maybe you've been praying for years, but the words have grown brittle and stale, a series of logistical text messages between you and God. Hey, where are you? Don't forget the milk. Thanks, thumbs up emoji. Or perhaps you and God are in a beautiful phase of life together. After years of practiced dialogue, your communication together transcends words. Like a long married couple, you can sit quietly in one another's company, hear the thoughts, anticipate the movements of the other. I don't know your history or terms of engagement with God, but by nature of your being present here in worship today, I know that you're conversing with the divine. Because what more is worship than conversation with God? Maybe you've noticed the ebb and flow of the conversation over time. Each week, it starts the same way. God initiates. Whether around the kitchen table or within these polished pews, we hear God's call to come, to enter into the divine presence in our call to worship, and we respond, let us worship. And we do. We share a week's worth of praise for flannel sheets to fall asleep in and clear mornings to rise to, for common graces like coffee, the driver who let us in, the friend who reached out. We thank and praise the source of all these things and the strains of our praise weave together in song. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our song shall rise to thee. Bless the Lord, O my soul, worship his holy name. Come, thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. The words aren't our own. 
phrases and melodies crafted by modern psalmists, but like the psalms, they speak on our behalf, ushering us into the divine conversation. Even as we're drawn to the heights of praise and thanksgiving, we look up, we look around, we look inward, and we're reminded of the gap between God's ways and our own. We speak honestly, naming those places that we don't want to look at, that we don't know if we really honestly want to fix, that we have no idea how to fix ourselves. And the words of confession are no sooner out of our mouths, our hearts and our minds barely having time to assess how much we actually meant them, then God replies. You don't have to fix it. You don't even have to will yourself to mean it. The desire to want to mean it is enough. My grace is enough, and it's for you. Lest we think that that's where the conversation ends, that that's where we can, can leave the doors and go out to the rest of our week, God continues. God speaks through the scripture read and proclaimed, inviting us into the ancient and eternal story where we find our own stories nested. Through the telling and the retelling of this story, we come to see that it is truer than all the stories being told around us. This story changes how we see everything the ordinary things of life suddenly become the stage on which the divine drama is being played out. God takes the most mundane things of life, water, cup, bread, and turns them into sacraments, visible signs of God's invisible grace among us. And suddenly, we come to see God's fingerprints all around us. We receive these tangible signs of God's grace and offer back our grateful responses. Thanksgiving, prayer, the dedication of our time, our resources, our very selves. But God ultimately has the last say in our conversation. God sends us out with a blessing and a charge that we carry with us into the daily liturgies of our life, of work and school, of commutes and PTA meetings, of caregiving and citizening. The doors out of the church become doors into the community, where the lines and actions that we've rehearsed in worship are performed in the world. We keep returning to worship, friends, week after week until the words and movements become second nature to us and the divine drama the only one that really matters. It's a common pattern of conversation for those of us who are doing this thing called church, a dialogue so familiar to many of us that we no longer notice the ebb and flow but get swept up without noticing like conversation with a dear friend. But what happens when the shared dialogue becomes private? When the choral conversation is reduced to solo conversation between me and God? This is the dilemma facing the church in Corinth. The Corinthians are coming together for worship, but each is coming with their own way of encountering the divine, their own spirit-given gift of engaging God. 
which isn't a bad thing, the Apostle Paul counsels them, until, until they start comparing, showing preference, claiming superiority, which is exactly what's happening. There are some in the community you see who have been given the gift of tongues. They converse with God so intimately and are so filled with God's words that it tumbles from them in an aria of speech that transcends understanding. They speak directly with God in their own special language. They're inspired, encouraged, comforted, consoled, but everyone else is left out of the conversation. Most of us here in the Presbyterian Church and the Reformed kind of circles aren't familiar, haven't seen the gift of tongues. But the Corinthians division is nevertheless still familiar to us. We've seen worshiping communities fractured by focus on individual access to God, direct dialogue with the divine. It happens in all kinds of ways that we know too well over worship times and music styles, language for God, which creeds are used, the form of the sermon, whether worship is adequately academic or accessible, and the list goes on and on. God might speak to us personally in the resonant vibration of the organ or the pulsing rhythm of the drums. God might reveal himself to us in the comforting familiarity of beloved metaphors or make herself known to us in the expansive embrace of additional ones. We may hear God clearly in the creeds and the sermonic forms passed down to us from time immemorial, or hear best God in the dialect of recent centuries. Whatever the case, friends, the problems arise in our worshiping life together when we take any one of these spirit-given gifts of conversing with the divine and claim that they are preferred or superior way for the community because they're our way, my way. When God's speech is limited to direct dialogue, others are left out of the conversation. For better or worse, Paul doesn't hand down solutions to our worship wars, to our worshiping life together. He reframes them all together. The gifts of the Spirit in worship aren't just for personal edification. God's voice and God's word for me, they're for the whole body. If God speaks to you directly, wonderful, Paul says, but the message is for more than just you. What's then an alternative to the privatized conversations with the divine in tongues in our worshiping life together? Paul says, well, prophetic worship. While most of us know little about speaking in tongues, many of us think we know about prophesy. It's predicting the future or it's crusading about issues of social justice. Neither is false, but neither is entirely true either. Like we tell our children as we gather around in a circle and share the stories of scripture in godly play, the prophets are those who come so close to God and who God becomes so close to 
that they understand, even just enough at times, what God desires. Prophets are common members of the church community. They're on the church prayer team, a Sunday school teacher. They sing in the choir, serve on session, sit quietly in the back of the sanctuary. They come in all shapes and sizes with their own dialect for conversing with the divine. But each allows their intimacy with God to become a medium for guiding, encouraging, consoling God's people. Their intimate dialogue with God flows out into wider conversation to become channels of love. Prophets place their private prayer language in service to the community so that God's people might more fully see their story, their full story, in light of God's. Paul asks in the verse just following our scripture reading, what then should be done, my friends? Well, we can go the way of many. We can seek out worship experiences that speak to us directly. It's easier now more than ever. With the click of a mouse, we can access beautiful music, exceptional preaching, stirring prayers in our preferred dialect without ever having to bother being a part of a gathered worshiping community. How convenient. Maybe you've recently joined First Press in virtual worship and you feel like finally there is a community that speaks your language. Or maybe you've checked out other churches during the pandemic and been surprised to hear God speaking there too perhaps in ways that deeply resonated with you. Or maybe after years of participating in worship week after week, you have been surprised, a bit miffed in fact, to discover that there is communion in Sunday morning brunch, prayer and praise in glorious hike. Wonderful, truly. And week after week, God's people come together as a gathered worshiping community, not simply to hear God speak words of love, encouragement, comfort to us individually, but that we might speak them to one another in a way that the Spirit has uniquely gifted us to speak. When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation, Paul instructs. Let all these things be done for building up. We do not worship. We do not converse with God alone. The Spirit has given the worshiping body diverse gifts and voices. We hear and we converse with God more fully in community we've been given one another to better listen, to better speak, interpret, translate, echo, clarify, tell the whole story of our common faith. The language of our worship is in the plural, not the singular. We say in thanksgiving, we praise you. In confession, forgive us, Lord, in the creed, we believe. 
we need this. I need this. I count on that plural to cover what I cannot say on my own at any given time. When my conversation with the divine stalls or staggers, I can let the words of the church, the body of Christ, speak for me. Our communal conversation carry me until the words come. Later, when I'm able to say we without mumbling or crossing my fingers, I know I am carrying others as they once carried me. Friends, over the last six weeks, we have explored different facets of our conversations with the divine. How do we talk with God? How does God talk to you? Where do you experience God's presence? How do you engage with the divine? Why do you pray? We close the series with this question. Who is the conversation for? In worship, we're reminded it is for us, all of us. Friends, I don't know the nature of your conversations with the divine, whether it's incensed or intimate, resigned or rapturous, silent or stale. But what I do know is that the Spirit has gifted us conversation partners in our worshiping life together. That when our hearing fumbles, when the words falter, others can speak to and for us and point us to the true, full story of which we're a part. Perhaps the most holy, curious part of our conversations with the divine is not the form they take or the place they occur in, the details or motivation of the conversation, but that they are ours, shared. With God, of course, but also with one another. The personal and the communal, the I and the we, are held together in our worship, like two hands folded in prayer, that all might say, God is really among you. And thanks be to God for that. Amen.